The hills are alive <laughs> with the sound of music. <laughs> okay, everybody, welcome to the Your Pick Movie Podcast. Welcome to Your Pick. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Hello, Geneva. Hello, Tatum. How has uh, how's your life been this week? Anything anything cool going on? Life's been good. Yeah, life's been good. Cue me desperately looking up my uh, letterbox. Like, wait, what? I, what have I been I've watching? I've got mine right here, <laughs> right here. <laughs> Click go to diary, and that's yep. It. There we go. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah, yeah. I've been been watching quite a few recently. Um, I watched uh, for the first time. I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, one of those classic movies that you just, for some reason, never get around to and finally watch. You know what? Hot take. Fun movie. Is, uh... Is it a hot take, though? I feel like a lot of people <laughs> like that movie. That was that was a joke. That was sarcastic. Oh, okay. I was like, I think a lot of people like that movie. I think it's famous for that reason. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's, it is always funny when you watch a movie from, you know, the 70s or the 80s, and you're like, wow, this feels so modern. You're like, oh, that's because this basically invented the way movies are made <laughs> made now, the way that they're edited and the way the, the performances are. Um, it's Paul yeah, Newman, it's, right? Yeah, it's Paul Newman, Robert Redford, who have incredible just bro chemistry with each other. You know, you just want to – it's one of those movies where you just – you want to hang out with the characters all the day, all day long, you know, the parts of the movie drag a little bit for me when it gets into more actual plot stuff. But when it's just the two of them hanging out and bantering, you know, I could watch a seven more hours of it. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What have you, what have you been watching recently? Well, speaking of uh, bro movies, I uh, <laughs> recently watched for quite literally the fourth time the movie RRR. Uh, ah. <laughs> yeah, I've, yes. I, yeah, it came out in 2022. Um, we will be talking about it very, oh, very yes, soon we will. because I am absolutely obsessed with this movie and uh, it it is a movie that I watched and it quickly became one of my like top 15 movies of all time. So, yeah, I watched that for the fourth time. Um, I also, <laughs> I'm just 12, rewatching movies. 12 hours of that movie. Yes, and it is worth it. Um, yeah, I, well, speaking of, I'm just rewatching a lot of stuff right now. I mm. rewatched The Fellowship of the Ring for probably the 48th time, and that is not an exaggeration, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is another very long movie uh, that is also one of my top movies of all time. Mm -hmm. uh spoiler alert it is my favorite movie of all time i was so, gonna say probably the top yeah uh well the whole trilogy not really just the first one but they're all they're all one story let's be honest <laughs> um and then also last night i rewatched the movie interstellar so Ooh, nice hot take that movie is stellar <laughs> hot take <laughs> um Good yeah movie. it's funny it's like 
one of the highest reviewed movies on Letterboxd, I think. But like, if you go on the internet and look at critics' reviews, it's like, we think it's okay, but not that Mm. good. And then all the movie nerds on Letterboxd are like, shut up, idiots. This movie's great. Yeah. I feel like that's really one of those movies that kind of grew on um, rewatch for a lot of people. And it's, it's one of those where people are kind of like, hey, you know, guess what? This is secretly Christopher Nolan's best movie. Yep. And you get a lot of people saying that now. So, yeah, it's I mean, it's pretty, pretty incredible and super ambitious. Uh, But yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, I'm not pretty sure. I'm 100% positive that all of those movies that I just listed, we will be talking about at some point on this podcast. (laughs) I don't know when. Uh, RRR will be very soon. The other two, I don't know when. But uh, yeah, all super great. Um, But yeah, I hope to get back to you watching some movies that I haven't seen uh, sometime soon. But it's just well, you know, sometimes you just you just need the comfort of a, a great movie that you have seen before. Yeah, it's been a great it's been a three sp- hour plus movie, which is <laughs> all three of those that you just named. <laughs> Geneva, you have not seen RRR yet. You, not yet. Once you see no. it, you will understand. I know, uh, I know. And if you don't understand, then we will no longer be friends. Oh, We're boy. canceling the podcast. <laughs> Everything is <laughs> over. <Canceled> the podcast. <laughs> You're Shut dead. Shut it all down. <laughs> <laughs> Delete the um, files. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I we will still be friends, but I will be legitimately heartbroken and might need to lay on the floor for a little bit, but it's fine. <laughs> I always recover. So um, anyway, but yeah. Not like speaking- I've never shown you a movie. That's one of my favorites and you've not felt the same way. Yeah, this this is true. Uh, I don't think I've ever hated one of your favorites. No, movies, I don't think though. so. It's yeah. just been like a, ah, oh, it's not my thing. Yeah, but- and I'm pretty sure I'm going to really like RRR. Um don't know how if I'll like it as much as you, just because I don't know anyone who likes it as much as <laughs> But people do love that movie, and from what I've seen, it, it looks like a blast, so I'm very excited. There is something in it for everyone, and I don't think that there's literally a person. I literally believe this. Mm-hmm. I do not think that there is anyone on the planet that would not like this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously. And I 100% mean that. Um, anyway... So, yeah, speaking of uh, movies. Speaking of beloved we- and three-hour-long movies. <laughs> yeah, that are comfort movies that make us feel happy inside. Mm-hmm. Let's get to talking about uh, The Sound of Music. What do you think, Geneva? I think that's a great idea. All right. So, uh, well, I suppose I should have said this before, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, today on the show, we will be discussing the 1965 film, The Sound of Music, directed by Robert Weiss, starring the wonderful, beloved, glorious Julie Andrews, and none Alan other than... Luminous, just magnificent. Yes, yes, and all of those words could also be applied to Christopher Plummer, may mm-hmm. he rest in peace. Uh, this movie was filmed on location in Salzburg, Austria, where it is actually set. And it, I, this was a surprise to me. It was filmed over the course of only 11 weeks due to oh. budget issues. I am wow. very, very shocked that they were able to film this in such a short period of time. Was that just um, the location shots or did, did, did that include the, uh, the in, in studio work? Do you know? According to the internet research that I did, it was <laughs> all of it, but... Don't quote me on that. That's, um, no, that's very <laughs> impressive. Um, apparently, Robert Weiss's, go- Robert Weiss's goal was to do it in six weeks, but it ended up being a wow. um, A musical, too. Like, it's it's yeah. freaking hard to make a musical. Um, yes. 
So, yeah. Wow. Props to him. Yes. Um, And some other additional fun facts. Um, There were some struggles filming this movie. Uh, One of them being that all of these children were aging throughout the time (laughs) of filming. And apparently because the younger kids were growing, but uh, the oldest one, Charmaine Char, or Carr, who plays Liesel, she was already 22, so she was no longer growing. So by the end of shooting, she actually had to stand on an apple box in order to um, <laughs> maintain the height difference. <laughs> um, and this does not come from like Wikipedia or IMDb trivia. This comes from like the Sound of Music official website. So this is like legit info. Um, interesting. And then additionally, throughout the shooting process, some of the kids had to wear fake teeth because they were losing their teeth as like young kids, they were using, losing their baby teeth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, just some, some fun facts to throw out there. And then one of, I think the most well-known thoughts, uh, or fun facts about this movie is that Christopher Plummer did not like filming this movie <laughs> at all. Uh, he was very vocal about it. And he, according to the internet research that I did, he found filming this movie, quote, boring. <laughs> <laughs> he was not pleased. Uh, apparently, he thought that there were better things he could have been doing with his time. But Julie Andrews has said that she thought that it helped him play his character in perhaps a more realistic way so um yeah which makes sense like re-watching this movie I was and we will definitely get into it but um I was really struck by his performance and you know with that piece of trivia in the back of my mind how well that plays into his character who is a very sort of superior um kind of looks down on everyone else um and and I don't mean that in a like I don't like his character because I love his character. It's just that's part of his an integral part of his personality and his performance really enhances that. And it, it's he manages to make it very endearing. And I think it's the chemistry that he has with Julie, Julie Andrews. But you know it, it's very interesting to watch with that fact in the back of <laughs> back of your head. I mean, how could you not have chemistry with Julie Andrews? Though? Oh my like, gosh, you know. Yeah, just the um, most adorable person who has ever lived in this movie is yes. Um, and also another fun fact that I found out through my research, which also comes from the official Sound of Music website, I think mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, maybe it came from somewhere else. I don't know. But uh, Charmaine Carr, who played Liesel, apparently she had a huge crush on Christopher Plummer <laughs> I mean, while they were filming the movie. She's only human. She, so she, she was 22. <laughs> so she was 22 and he was 35. And apparently he also had a crush on her oh or like gosh. the feelings were kind of reciprocated. But like the, according to the Internet, it never went past flirting or whatever. But like the two of them were were uh, they were crushing on each other during wow. this film. So I did uh, not know that. I'm glad they didn't have more scenes now <laughs> Because that was so weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I thought that that was a fun, a fun fact. Um, but yeah, I wish I could, cl- you know, climb into Christopher Plummer's mind and just understand why he found the process of this movie to be boring. Like, I mean, I feel like yeah. there's just so much to eat up and enjoy here. Like, literally, <clears throat> Christopher Plummer, you are singing, you are acting, you are <laughs> in a love story, you are dancing. Like, how how could you be bored yeah. doing this? I don't well, understand. One thing I was really struck by, so I was looking up a little bit where he was and where Julie Andrews were in their careers when this movie was made. This was... Um, I don't remember exactly what year Mary Poppins came out, but it was either the year before or two years before. 
And when Julie Andrews was cast, she Mary Poppins had not yet come out. She was cast based off of her her um, reputation as a you know a fantastic stage actress and um, some footage from Mary Poppins that had been filmed but not yet released. And Christopher Plummer at this point, he'd done a couple movie roles, but he was really much more of a stage actor. So actually, Eleanor Parker, who plays the Baroness, she was kind of the big name in the cast, uh, to the extent that there was a name in the cast. Um, Julie Andrews, you know, and Christopher Plummer were both really stage actors when when they were cast for this movie. And thinking thinking of, you know, Christopher Plummer coming from, I think, from what I could tell, kind of more of a you know, Shakespearean <laughs> theatrically trained tradition. Um, you know, I, I think I can see why it's definitely not agreeing, but, you know, there's probably a, a sense of not knowing with hindsight what this movie is going to end up being thinking, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm taking this role. It's a cheesy, fluffy musical, you know, I'm kind of slumming it to make, um, you know, for a paycheck, like, I'm, I'm not saying this is definitely his, his mindset, but I could see a world in which that was kind of, you know, what he was coming into it with, not realizing the quality of the movie that he was actually a part of. And I, I was looking up some of the initial reviews actually talked about this movie being very sort of sickly sweet, and it was too cheesy, you know, the, the reviews were more mixed than you might realize. Um, which is insane now because this movie is an all-time classic and I don't think it's too cheesy at all. But um, I think there was that kind of um, uncertainty about how to take it and how to um, deal with the fact that in this, you know, this is the middle of the 1960s, things are changing, things are becoming a lot darker and grittier, but we still have that kind of... um, you know, tradition of musicals being a much brighter and happier form, which is kind of now going out of fashion. I think there's just a kind of, you know, if you're an up and coming, um, you know, actor or or someone who is trying to make it in the industry, you're seeing the way this, the form is changing. And you, you look at this musical that is a little, very indebted to kind of what the musical has been. And you're thinking, is this just outdated? Is this, you know, something that should be left in the past? Which turns out is not the case. <laughs> this musical is an absolute, you know, timeless classic. But without having that hindsight, I, I can see how it was. It would be a bit more, you know, you wouldn't be sure how to take it um, at the time. Yeah, I, I feel like Geneva. After everything you just said, is there is there anything further that you want to say regarding your overall thoughts? I feel like it kind of transitioned a little bit into <laughs> yeah, just sorry. like your overall <laughs> thoughts on the movie. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Or well, I, I will try and space out my thoughts. I should just say upfront, as Tatum well knows, I am a massive musical nerd. I literally wrote a master's thesis on musicals. Um, I'm very much obsessed with the form and thinking about how the form has changed over time. Um, I will not say I'm in no way an expert, um, but it's just, I I love musicals and I've spent a lot of time watching them and thinking about them, particularly from a historical point of view. So I will try not to get too overly nerdy in this, but um, it is something that really fascinates and excites me. 
Yes, I I can feel the passion, Geneva. It's, it's, def- <laughs> it's definitely coming through without you even needing to uh, to say that. But and I haven't even gotten said, into Rodgers and Hammerstein and how influential they were in basically inventing oh the form of the integrated <laughs> musical theater in the 1940s with Oklahoma. But I will save yes, that. Yes, for yes, yes. You know what? Maybe you can just post a link to your uh, master's thesis <laughs> sure. uh, in the or dissertation in the podcast <laughs> description. <laughs> um, Yes. Uh, so I guess, so my overall thoughts, um, so I did choose this movie to discuss this week. Uh, Geneva, was this also on your list to discuss it at some point or was it only on my list? That's actually a great question. I think it might've been only on your list. Um, okay. But for reasons that I will probably talk about at some point. Um, but yes, please. Yeah. Take us through your, your history with this musical. Yeah, so the reason I chose this movie is because uh, this movie is something that, I mean, I say this with every single movie that I choose, but I do genuinely love this movie, Um, but watching it again this time, because I haven't seen it for a few years, I mean, I've watched it all the time growing (laughs) up throughout like my entire childhood, uh, through high school, all those things, but it's been a a hot minute since I saw it. but yeah, watching it again, it just kind of reminded me of all of the nostalgia that I have with this. There were several different scenes where I was like, oh, I remember my dad talking about this part and my mom referencing this part. And I went to a sleepover and my neighbor talked about this part when we watched it. And my cousin talked about this. When we, <laughs> like I had so many memories affiliated with different scenes and different moments from the plethora of times that I've seen this movie. Um, so I think... Yeah, I just wanted to discuss this movie because um, I think it's something that kind of is universally appreciated by people nowadays. Um, I genuinely love it. I think that it's a very well-made film. Um, I am a fan of musicals. I don't don't necessarily love all musicals. Uh, I am kind of picky and choosy with them, but when they're done really well, well, that's totally subjective, but I'll just say that like, there are some musicals that I really love and then there are some that I just don't necessarily get into. Um, but this is one that I really, really do love. I think that the songs are incredible. Um, I think that the characters, the casting, the acting, um, the fact that it's a musical that has also a really great story that goes along with it. Um, a, a fantastic, in my opinion, a fantastically realistic love story um, that takes its time and also um, kind of like the the underlying plot of just kind of what's going on in Austria at the time and the political tensions. So I just think it touches on a lot of different points in very um, just it, it's just handled really well how it's struggling all of these different ideas. And I think that the fact that it was able to be pulled off, uh, especially on location, it, it, I just think it's it's really well done. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a movie that it has a lot to talk. There's a lot to discuss in this movie and uh, I think it is worthy of our discussion. So absolutely. And I really love the way you phrase that of like, this is a musical that you have so much memory, so many memories of interactions with people tied to it. Cause that's very much how it is with me. Um, The reason that I didn't have, I love this musical. I, this movie it's, I think it's a timeless classic. And the reason I didn't have it on my list is just because I think I tend to take it for granted a little bit. This is my mom's favorite movie of all time, which I think it is the case for a lot of moms out there. I didn't know Um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I guess she's never like said specifically that this is her number one, but I mean, just knowing her and her taste and what she watches, this is her number one. <laughs> um, and my mom is a musician. So I, I grew up in a, a family where there's just always music going on in some form or another. Um, and so I just have so many memories tied to it of like, you know, my mom talking about, oh, this is her favorite part. You know, this is something, this is how she feels when she watches this part, that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's just one of those movies that I think it, it's so universal. So many people have seen it. People return to it so many times over the years and it changes and deepens and, you know, you notice new things over the time. But then also you, it's just a movie that's really good to experience with other people and have these sort of connections and, and relationships and um, experiences with it that, that tie you into other people who love this movie. I totally agree. Um, so before we kind of jump into our thoughts on just kind of the plot more specifically and things that we just want to mention, um, I just wanted to throw out there, Geneva, you were talking about Julie Andrews and where she was at in her career at this point. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but this is another fun fact. Mm. Uh, so she had filmed, uh, Mary Poppins, but it had not come out yet. And so she apparently was singing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to the kids on the set, but they thought that it was a song that she like made up for them because they hadn't seen the movie yet. Yeah. It's, I just found that to be a really cool tidbit that I discovered in my research. So, you know, just further evidence of how incredible Julie Andrews is (laughs) like just Imagine being a kid and listening to Julie Andrews sing that to you and you think that it's a song she like made up just for you, you mm-hmm. know? I'm so fun. I did not know that. That's that's just the best thing that I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun doing research for this movie. There was a lot of behind the scenes information, way more than I thought there was going to be. So oh, yeah, it was great. fun. Um, but anyway, yes. all that being said... Geneva, do you want to um, go ahead and get us started with any opening thoughts or just anything you want to touch on? We'll try and move through it chronologically as much as we can. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, um, you know, it's just it's such a classic opening um, in the sense of it's just iconic. <laughs> you know, the the camera moving through these beautiful mist covered mountains and the gorgeous Austrian countryside and coming out on the mountain and she's up there and her dark blue um, novice outfit is, uh, or novitiate outfit is contrasting with the the light green of the grass and she's twirling and she's singing. Like, it's just, it's just so iconic. And um, I, I was really, not to get too nerdy with <laughs> musicals again so quickly, but, you know, I've thought a lot about how difficult the musical form is to put on film just because of that contrast between the unreality of people singing and dancing in the midst of their real lives when particularly in sort of 1960s onward where film style tends to be very um, much more focused on realism. There's a lot more location shooting in, in films past the 1960s and this movie, there is so much location shooting and I often it can be, I think difficult to for directors to navigate that, um, there's kind of an awkwardness or a dissonance that comes from, you know, you're, you've got your characters and they're in actual New York city. And then all of a sudden they start singing and dancing. There can be kind of, it can be a little bit forced or strained sometimes, but for this movie, it just works so well. And I think part of it is just the, 
how magical the Austrian countryside is. You know, it just the magic of the um, the the music, which and it, it's you know it's gorgeous, gorgeous, you know, fairy tale like music, and it just it blends so well with the fairy tale quality of the the Austrian countryside. Um, and then, of course, the fact that that's then contrasted with the darker themes later in the music movie of like you know this beautiful countryside being infected by the Nazis and the Nazis want to use their music as a tool of, you know, prop, like a propaganda tool for their um, taking over of Austria. It just, it all integrates together so well. Yeah. I, um, as, as you said, the opening is absolutely iconic. Um, hence why I attempted very poorly to sing the uh, opening <laughs> lines. to this. Not poorly. Uh, it was beautiful. Uh, no, it was very poorly. Um, <laughs> I don't want anyone out there to think that I actually uh, think that that was a good job. No, I acknowledge it was terrible. But um, yeah, I think just even the fact that like anyone that I know, whenever they go to the Alps, sings this song. <laughs> I I went to the Alps. Granted, it was not the Austrian Alps. It was the Swiss Alps. But when I went there, I just I sang this opening song because you have to. It's one of those things that you have to do when you go to the Alps. So I think that that in and of itself just speaks to um, just how impactful and how timeless this um, this opening has become. And just kind of moving forward a little bit, something that I um, I feel like all of us have things that we kind of consistently focus on when we watch movies, whether we're analyzing them or just enjoying them. But for me, one of the things I love to analyze in movies, I think this started when I was taking film classes in college, is I love studying how movies establish their characters Mm. um, because some movies do it really, really well and then other movies don't at all or some movies kind of handhold you and some movies just throw you in and make you figure it out. And um, this is one of those movies where I really, really like how they introduce each of the characters because I feel like it, they, I don't know, I feel like you so clearly understand who the characters are the first time you interact with them or the first time you hear about them, but through really creative ways. And I love that how you learn about Maria is through this song. I mean, obviously you learn about Maria through like her dancing on the hill and then running down it and all that stuff. But the fact that all of these sisters are singing a song about her that's like describing her personality, but not in a super obvious way. It's kind of in like a, I don't know, it's kind of like giving us a little bit of backstory without like filling in all the holes. It's just kind of like letting you know enough and then we can kind of fill in the rest ourselves. But I think that the way they introduce her through that song is brilliant. I also love how they introduce the captain, like the first scene, the first time we see him when he opens those doors with both of his arms and he's like this shadowed silhouette in a doorway. It's like so intimidating, but, but such a perfect introduction to him. He looks so militant. He looks so serious, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's a light behind him of like, okay, you know, he's, he's this dark figure, but there's also, there's good in him too. Like there's a light that exists there. It just, he just hasn't like let it touch him yet or in a <laughs> long time. Um, but anyway, like Geneva's trying not to be musical nerd. I'm trying not to be like, let's break this down into individual pieces of how the lighting oh, represents please, this. Please. Blah, blah, blah. I want to hear it. I want to hear it all. Um, of it. But 
Yeah, I just feel like the character introductions of Maria, of the captain, of all of the kids marching back and forth, and of mm-hmm. Frau Schmidt, and of the Baroness, and of Max, I just think that every single time a character comes in, we get to know who they are right away, but in very different instances. Whether it's through song, whether it's through marching, whether it's through opening a door, whether it's through spilling tea, uh, Frau Schmidt, or, <laughs> or you know, I just... Yeah, I, I, I love the way this this movie navigates that. Yeah, yeah. And thinking about the way that Maria is introduced too, you know, it, it's such the mark of the a well written movie how how well the characters are are set up and developed and the their arcs and their journeys are set up early on. Cause I was just thinking as as Maria is talking to the the abbess and she's, you know, Maria, why why do you want to be here? Maria tells the story about um, coming down, you know, she lived, she grew up on the mountain, but she would see the sisters in their abbey, in the abbey, and she would see them singing. And that's why she wants to be part of it. And, you know, what that, it tells you so much about her character and what she wants, because it's not, you know, she is a religiously devout person. That's a big part of her personality, but she's not meant to be part of the Abbey. What she connects to is this idea of being part of a family and being able to share music with your family. And that's what she's then able to achieve when she becomes part of the Von Trapp family. Yeah, I think, I just think that the casting of Julie Andrews is so perfect. I, I, I cannot imagine anyone else playing mm-hmm. this role and not just for her singing ability, which is undeniably perfect and beautiful Mm -hmm. but just the way that she completely embodies this character I I believe to me in this movie she's not Julie Andrews she is Maria and I just think that that is that that is just so powerful and I think that's a testament to the casting director I think that's a testament to Julie Andrews as an actor to just the directing and um yeah I just think that she's so that she's so great here and Go ahead. Well, and the fact that she, you know, within two to three years of each other, you know, she had this incredible debut basically to worldwide audiences playing two nannies, essentially, um, two characters who are there to take care of children. But they're such different characters. You know, Maria is so different from Mary Poppins. Um, And in Maria's case, you know, she is this character who's she's a novitiate nun. you know, she loves to sing. She's sort of, she's very feminine. She's very warm. But there's this this streak of mischief and humor in her that is so important to her character. You know, obviously the, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Half of it is, you know, oh, she's like a slob. And, you know, she's <laughs> constantly like playing tricks or um, getting into trouble and scrapes. And her, Julia Andrews' movie star kind of persona with this is just so fascinating because we think of Julia Andrews as being this very prim and proper woman. Obviously, she has this beautiful Thank you for being here today. Yeah, this very sort of posh British accent. But she still pulls off that humor and that irreverence so well in, um, you know, when she comes into contact with the captain and the two of them are playing off each other. And he's, you know, he's all strict and formal and you know he's got a sense of humor but it's in this very kind of wry sort of contemptuous way and she just 
pokes at him. You know, she just gets right down to the heart of it. She's not afraid of him. She's poking fun at him. She's playful. She's, you know, she's kind of laughing to herself about, um, you know, she's, she's not afraid to laugh at herself um, and him. And they just, the, the dynamic between the two of them is so great. And, yeah, the way Julie Andrews is able to kind of bend her own sort of persona and the way she comes off on screen to to create this entirely new character is just fantastic. Yeah, I um, I, I want to hold off on talking about the love story and the romantic chemistry for a while so much because to say. because once we get there, uh, <laughs> I have so many thoughts. So this will kind of be an introduction to people, I guess, of. I feel like a lot of people assume that I'm not a romantic because there's a crap ton of romantic movies and romantic comedies that I refuse to watch and I will not tolerate them and I hate them. But that being said, I can be a romantic and uh, (laughs) the romance in this movie is one of my favorites. I absolutely love it. But we will save that uh, for later because there's a lot to say there. Mm -hmm. Um, One thought I did have was (laughs) I was thinking I was like, I wonder what kind of song would be written about me by my friends or the Mm. people that know me of like, you know, because we've got, we've got this Maria song and I was just like, I wonder what, what would be said about me? Probably. I don't know. I I just feel like that would be an interest. Not that I'm going to ask my friends and family to do this, but I feel like it would be an interesting experiment and activity if the people who knew you best wrote a song about you and your character. I Um, shudder to think. (laughs) Ugh. Well, I mean, I'd throw some good stuff in there for your song. Oh, I thank you. But um, yeah, I think that there was one there was one quote that I wrote down that I really loved that also kind of helped introduce us to Maria's character. But it's when she goes into the into like the office to talk to the Reverend Mother, and the Reverend Mother is kind of telling her about um, how she's going to go live with this family, and Maria is kind of talking about her woes of her. <laughs> of her character and all those things and she's like sometimes I just say things and I can't stop and they just come out of my mouth and blah 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 and the reverend mother is like I believe some might call that honesty and Maria's like I know it's terrible (laughs) (laughs) and it's like well you know I guess it depends on the circumstance but I, I don't think it's that that bad of a thing just live your life girl you're not intentionally trying to hurt anybody um but yeah, moving moving forward a little bit, I think that uh, this the song of I, I don't know what it's what it's actually called. Is it called Confidence? Geneva? I have confidence. I think I have confidence. Which was one, uh, I read uh, written for the film. It was not in the original stage musical. Mm, well, fun fact. I really like that song. It's great. Um, but that song is definitely something that I have sung to myself to hype myself up in certain moments of my life when I'm like. I think this is something that I'm supposed to do, but I'm really scared. You know what? If I just embody Maria and I sing, I have confidence, <laughs> then I'll have confidence, right? Um, but yeah, I think that there's just so many songs in this movie, which, you know, obviously some of them come from the stage play. Some of them come from this movie, but they just get stuck in your head and you can just, they, they come to you at different moments and you can't, you can't help but sing them, you know, and Watching this movie, I actually, uh, I told Geneva this earlier today, but watching this movie, (laughs) I actually watched the sing-along version, which like, so they had the words at the bottom of the screen for every single song. And so I was like, well, I have to sing along now. And it was so fun. It's so fun to sing these songs and kind of like, I don't know, just, just 
live in the joy with these characters. Um, not all the songs are joyful, but yeah, it, I don't know. It's just it's just really fun to sing along with it. Absolutely. I mean, anyone who's ever taken any sort of music class in you know elementary and middle school knows the song Do Re Mi, which I believe I mean the Do Re Mi system, you know that sort of sort of solfege system had existed for a long time. But the song itself, I'm pretty sure, was is Rodgers and Hammerstein, you know, written for the movie. And it's just, you know, absolutely transcended this movie to become part of the basic curricula of uh, musical education. Um, you know, My Favorite Things is sort of an unofficial Christmas song now. Um, don't entirely understand why, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. right after the strings. <laughs> it references snowflakes. It references snowflakes, yes. Um so, I mean, really, what more do you need? Yeah. Edelweiss, I've always, um, I think a lot of people, well, maybe not, you know, big fans of the movie, but I think there's probably a fair amount of people out there who would just assume that Edelweiss is an actual Austrian folk song rather than a music movie that was, or a song that was written for the movie, just because it it fits so well into how it's supposed to function in the plot. And, you know, it really does sound like a, a sort of, national folk song um the the songs just work so well on their own outside of the movie but then they also work flawlessly within the the plot itself yeah edelweiss is uh my dad's favorite song oh is it yeah oh it's so beautiful yeah it is he loves it um yeah speaking of other things that my dad loves in this movie um i think i i might point out like all the different uh, memories I have affiliated with this movie, but one of them is my dad. Uh, in addition to him loving Edelweiss, he also always cracks up at the part when the captain is. <laughs> so you know how he like brings the kids down and he's playing the whistle and everything, and he's teaching her the signals he has for each one. The the one signal that he like invents for Maria on the spot, where it's just this ridiculously loud, high pitched squealing. It, it just it, it is it makes so my obnoxious. I literally have time. that in my notes. It's like it's the it's worst so one the is for her. It's so bad. <laughs> it's like I almost feel like he did it on purpose, yeah. you know, um, yeah. we, because he already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, can we talk about how funny this movie is? And particularly in these first scenes when she's meeting the captain and, and his family, you know, the. um Oh, um that that dress. Oh yeah, we had to give our clothes away to the poor. Well, what about that one? Well, the poor didn't want this one. <laughs> and then his little <laughs> <laughs> afterwards. He has so many moments where he just goes, "Hmm." <laughs> like there was one there was one quote that I almost used for the for the opening of this movie where he goes, "Fraulein, were you this much trouble at the abbey?" And she goes, "Oh, much more, sir." And he goes, "Hmm." <laughs> <laughs> when um when she goes to to sit down in the dining room, um, the dining room table for dinner, and there's the pine cone in her chair, and she jumps up screaming, and he's like, "What's wrong?" And she's trying to find something to say, and she's like, "Uh, uh, rheumatism, uh, uh, rheumatism." <laughs> okay. He just goes, "Uh huh." Uh-huh. Isn't there something where he goes? Doesn't he respond to that like something, and then and let us eat or something yeah, like that? He's I don't just know. Like I just came here for a nice dinner. <laughs> but let let me just say, I, I feel like. I feel like that that scene where they're all eating dinner and and I actually realized it this time that I was like, "Oh, I'm right." But I realized watching it this time, I was like, 
I'm pretty sure this dinner scene is when the captain first starts getting the hots. Oh, for, he literally uh, says that later like, on. He's like, I know exactly, yeah. which I'd never made that connection in the past. Mm. But watching it, I was like, oh, man, this is this is really when he first mm. starts liking her. And then later on in the movie, he's like, that's the first time I knew. I was like, yes, I clocked <laughs> it. Awesome. Yeah. But there is like I'm feeling the heat. It, like mm-hmm. he yeah yeah uh, it's it's very apparent and it's also super cute how how he like how he tries to hide it but also it's it's just barely seeping through and he's mad at himself about it <laughs> like you know like you can tell he's angry mm-hmm. but also he can't help it yeah. and I think that is so sweet yeah it is really um, funny again just watching this with the context of knowing Christopher Plummer was not crazy about the movie he was in at the time <laughs> because I think he's really really good in this movie and yes. it's hard to say how much of it is just his sort of whatever was going on beneath the surface, just seeping out and working really well for the character. But there's just so many little expressions that will flicker across his face at a given time. You know, he'll, you know, Maria will be saying and doing something and he's, he's mad about it because it's not what he wants to happen. But you can also just see like this tiny little smile just playing around the corners of his mouth. Yeah. You know, there's this sort of like, he's amused in, in spite of himself or he's, um, you know, there's like a longing, you know, he wants to connect with his kids and he doesn't know how. Um, there's like a, a little bit of a sort of surprise and he doesn't know how to deal with these emotions that he's feeling at different times. And so he tries to to play it off by just, you know, being extra kind of brusque with everyone or pretending nothing's going on. But you can just tell it is, you know, it's all going on oh, under yes. the surface. I love it so it's much. so good. Um, oh, can I also say just with that dinner scene, too? I really appreciated on this rewatch how clever Maria is in the way that she deals with the kids putting the pine cone on her seat. Because what she's doing is um, she's calling out exactly what they're doing. And she's calling it out in a way that really points out why it's so cruel and, and um, you know, such a sort of mean thing to do. But she's doing it in this sort of way that's encouraging them to be better. Because she's saying like, you know, oh, it's so thoughtful of you guys to leave that gift for me, considering, you know, how how alone I must have felt in this place and how I really wanted to, you know, be accepted and everything. And so she's doing it in this way that's sort of, yeah, it's this very kind of clever, sub- subversive way of um, pointing out how they can be better, why they were, what they did is wrong and how they can be better. But best of all, in a way that is not going to get them in trouble with their dad, which is the thing that they're most afraid of. You know, it's just, it's very, she has, her character has so much emotional intelligence and the way that she's able to kind of read the family dynamic and work within it is just at at such a, such a, you know, so soon after meeting them all is just really clever. And I love how her emotional intelligence is really such a good match for the captain. Like they really just complement each other because she, she kind of needs some support and some structure and uh, <laughs> someone to help her uh, get a little bit more focused, I feel like. And he can definitely do that. But then he needs someone to help him come out of his shell and become more just in touch with his emotions so that he can reconnect with his kids and, and just with himself also as well, you know? And I think that that pairing is just, 
It's so well done. Um, yeah, absolutely. I will, I will say though, Geneva, I do have a question that maybe you can enlighten me on this because this is something that I have literally never understood about this movie, no matter how many times I watch it. I don't understand why the kids start crying at dinner. I don't get it. I think it's that the youngest kids, I've never understood why the older ones start crying. For the younger ones, it makes sense to me in the sense that they probably are just a lot more tenderhearted. They don't have the sort of resentment and desire to act out that the older ones do. And so when Maria starts guilting them, they feel bad. They were probably just going along with the older ones because the older ones told them to. So they start feeling bad and they start crying. What I don't understand is why the older ones also start crying. Like I can understand them feeling bad, but sobbing openly is a little, does seem like a little bit much. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my thought, and this was just a guess because again, I never, I never knew why they were crying, but I was always like, is this something where the way that she's talking and socializing at the dinner table is reminding them of their mother, but they don't know how to verbalize it? I, I don't know. It's just always been one of those things where it's just because they're all over the top crying, <laughs> yeah, they are. but then also the captain kind of shrugs it off as if it's like not a serious thing. And I feel like if they were crying about their mom, he wouldn't have shook it off and just kind of laughed and asked Maria to shut up, you know? So I just don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I've never taken that. it to be that it's has any relation to their mom. I've taken it, always just taken it to be that um, she's just making them feel guilty because they realize they did a really mean thing and she does seem like a really nice woman. And so that makes them okay. feel bad. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And I, my guess is that the captain, if he does, even though he may not know the details, I mean, I'm sure he knows why, <laughs> you know, he's had to go through so many governesses. I'm sure he knows that his kids are tough on the governesses. And so he probably has an inkling of what's going on. And he's just, you know. Yeah. What What's wrong with the children? Oh, there's nothing wrong with oh, no, the children. They're just happy. <laughs> there's merely something wrong with the governesses. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Wise guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I did want to, one thing I did want to talk about, which this made me think if I was still in college and I was writing essays on breaking down movies, which was one of my favorite aspects of taking film Mm -hmm. classes. um, I really love how in this movie, um, I actually just noticed it this time, but there's really incredible um, just thematic cinematography of whenever you see Maria, especially in the first half of the film, a lot of the times when you see her, she is in the center of a balanced shot. Oh, interesting. So it's like the shot is perfectly balanced and she's in the middle of it. And then every time you see the captain, he is never in a balanced like shot. But then after the two of them get together, then the shots where they're together or then you start seeing the captain in like balanced shots. And so I found that to be just like an extra added note. Obviously it's not like every single time that happens or doesn't happen, but it is a very consistent theme of you see balance shots with Maria pretty much throughout the whole film. You don't see them very much, if at all with the captain in the first half. And then after he connects with Maria, he starts to join in on those balance shots. So whether it's like in the house or in the foyer or out in the, in the courtyard, in the front of the house, or like, or, or in the in the gazebo or whatever, you kind of see that theme in just kind of in every location throughout the movie, which I I loved that detail. And 
if I was being super nerdy, I would write like a super long paper on it and give it to a professor, but I'm not in film school anymore. So. <laughs> <You're just saying laughs> that. I just okay. thought I'd mention it. Here. I love that. Yeah. I totally did not clock that, but that is such a, wow. That's such a clever and subtle bit of filmmaking that, you know, just completely supports the, the arc that he goes through throughout the film. Yeah. So can we talk about the, uh, I mean, depending on how many thoughts you have on it, can we talk about the 16 going on 17 song? (laughs) Because I'm very conflicted about this song. Um, I have Mm -hmm. nostalgia with it. And I, I have a specific memory of watching this movie with my cousin growing up and her expressing that like when she had her first kiss, she felt like Liesl, the way she reacted with her like squealing at the end or whatever. And I get it. Like, this is Liesl, young love, first love, whatever. This is the 1960s. I get it. But also, I'm like, I don't know. If there was a guy who was interested in me and he was calling me a baby and asking me to admit that I'm naive and that I can't go out into the world on my own. And I don't know. It's if I like I appreciate the song for what it is, but I'm also like, I don't think this translates very well into the modern day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the I. The, the thing about this song that I love and the thing that I that I think helps it to remain iconic after all this time is the fact that there's kind of multiple layers going on where there is the sort of initial layer of, you know, teenage love. Um, you know, they're both idiots and, you know, she's looking up to him as this like older boy and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, all. Oh, Hey, I'm the man. I'll take care of you. But then at the same time with the performances, at least maybe this is just the way that I'm reading it, but Liesl, she's going for it. Like she's, she's a horny teenager, you know, she's, (laughs) she's very aggressive and forward and it intimidates Rolf. Like she'll lunge in for a kiss and he'll back away. He's like, Whoa, I'm not prepared to deal with this. You know? So there's this kind of, the, the song within itself, um, the song is subverting itself in the way that it's staged. And I mean, I think the song is written to be that way. Like, you, it's written in a way that you're like, oh, you know, to, to highlight the sort of dramatic irony of, you know, oh, you're so, just a baby of 16. I'm 17. Like, it's just <laughs> so absurd at the face of it. Like, you have you can't read it in any other way than like, oh, he's just an idiotic teenager who thinks he's so mature, but he doesn't know anything. But the performances really enhance it because, you know, it it really does reverse kind of the the text of the lyrics in the way that they interact with each other. I feel like it's such a... I, I, I love that you're saying that because I feel like it is kind of such a silly... Just a silly... Th- thought in general of I am one year older than you therefore (laughs) like it doesn't matter how Mm -hmm. old you are if it was like you're nine and I'm 10 or I'm 82 and you're 81 it's like one year is really like yeah nothing (laughs) it is it's it's not anything at all but Mm -hmm. anyone who would I feel like the only person that would think that one year makes that much of a difference would be a 17-year-old be, yeah. boy who's about to turn 18. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it functions on that level, I think, where it's like you watch it as an older person and you're like, oh, I can appreciate how funny that sort of irony is. You know, I can appreciate kind of what it's doing. 
But then at the same time, it's just a beautifully staged scene and she's got this pretty flowy dress and they're in a gazebo and it's so romantic. And so you're- and they've got the super bright lights coming yep. down onto their heads <laughs> with the with the hazy with the mm-hmm. hazy lens over the camera or whatever it is. Yep, yep. And so you watch it and you're like, I can deconstruct this in my mind and I am, you know, I can understand this and I'm I'm too old to be swept up in this but at the same time I'm completely swept and up in it and I just want to be dancing a gazebo with my secret lover in the rain (laughs) getting my first kiss yeah I feel like I don't know maybe I need to build a gazebo in my backyard because apparently that just makes the love happen like I don't know according to this movie you need a gazebo (laughs) and you'll be fine (laughs) my mom has said so many times over the years how much she wants a gazebo and it all goes back to this movie (laughs) I love that. Um, So Geneva, do you, do you have any thoughts on the uh, kind of the, the thunder sequence where all the kids come in? I, I didn't write anything down for that because quite frankly, I'm so sick of that song because of Christmas. (laughs) Like I just, I don't understand why it's a Christmas song and it annoys me now, but I wanted to make sure not to skip over it. If you had something to say about it. I think just, you know, Again, it's just a really good illustration of Maria's character um, because it it shows how well-suited she is to become these kids' stepmother, where she is very, um, she's very, as we said before, emotionally intelligent. Um, you know, she clocks right away what Liesl has been doing, and but she also knows the right way to deal with it, where she can be kind of, you know, she can be a bit firm with her and she can be the sort of authority figure, but she can also be the friend. Um and then, um, you know, when she's singing with the kids and, and trying to cheer them up, she has this, there's this one great moment where she's kind of, she's standing by the curtains and she's singing something and she gets this look of sort of self-doubt over her face, you know, for some reason, like all of a sudden she's just like, oh gosh, what do I do next? And then she just continues. And it's just this great little moment of kind of um, adding kind of depth to her character that she she's just making this up as she goes along you know she's not she doesn't know everything she's not perfect she doubts herself a little bit she's not quite sure what to do next but she just kind of goes with her instincts and it turns out her instincts are so well suited to this role that she's taking on um and also I just I feel like I my family will quote sometimes the line, Kurt, that's the one I forgot. God bless Kurt. God bless Kurt. <laughs> well, God like, bless what's his name. God bless what's his name. Um, I also, it always makes me laugh how when the, the thunderclap, the little the girl, little girls in bed are like, oh, the boys aren't scared. They're, you know, they're men. They're they're fine. And then thunderclap happens and they come in and they're like, they're running in. But then as soon as they get in the doorway, they like tr- slow down and pretend to be all smooth. Like they Chest were scared. Up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, we just wanted to make sure you You were okay. (laughs) Yeah. Those kids, can we also just talk about the fact that, you know, uh, the casting in this movie is so good. And um, all of the kids are just, they're just great. Like, you know, they're not, they're not annoying as kid actors can sometimes be. They're not interchangeable the way when you have a large group of kids, they can sometimes be, you know, they all have very, they have distinct looks. They have very distinct personalities. Um, I mean, you don't get to know each one in, in a whole lot of depth, but you know, you're not mistaking one for the other. You can tell who is who's who, and a lot of them have like little moments that are fun or 
little lines or facial expressions that are really funny. Um, yeah, they're all just great. And they have great chemistry with each other. And then as the movie goes on, they have really great chemistry with Julie Andrews and uh, Christopher Plummer. Like you, you get the sense that they really are a family, which is very sweet. Speaking of none of the kids being forgettable, uh, my mom actually, so she's, she's a pretty talented singer. And when she was younger, she was in like theater productions and I always forget the name of the girl, but I think it's Brigitta. She, I'm pretty sure she played Brigitta in the musical that her school put on. I think in, I don't know if it was middle school or high school. I feel like it must've been middle school. She was playing Brigitta, but I don't know. Um, but my mom always made sure to, you know, make sure we knew that when we were younger. That, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, I played Brigitta in, in the musical when I was younger, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's so um, adorable. My mom yeah. um, told me once that she, when she was young watching this movie, there was nothing she wanted in the world more than to be one of those kids and to be like when they do their outing and they're out on the Alps and she's teaching them don't write me. Like all she wanted was to be one of those kids and to be singing with Fräulein Maria, you know, on in a mountainside. And yeah, I feel like she well, brought us up with that, <laughs> with that assumption. Yeah. Cause again, my mom's a musician and of course me and my brothers, like, you know, you always rebel against your mom. So you're like, mom, we don't want to be like sitting down and singing with you. <laughs> but that was very much her, her ideal, you know, day. Well, that's actually the sequence that we have up next. So let's go ahead and, and talk about that. I actually wrote down a very similar note to what you said, Geneva. This is actually one of my favorite sequences in the movie, if not my favorite, because mm-hmm. when I was a kid growing up, I loved playing outside. Um, I've always loved singing. I loved this movie. We actually had a record of, uh, we had like a record of this uh, soundtrack and I would listen to it all the time. And this was the song that I would play over and over. I just... I watch this sequence and I think I want to be one of those kids. How can I make that my life right now? Even though I'm 28, like I want to go out into the Alps with my mom and a bunch of other kids my age and just live in a fantasy land of learning how to sing, running around Salzburg, (laughs) Austria in a perfect fantasy land, singing all these songs. It just, it's so fun how it just like the... The contrast between what we saw the kids doing before of literally wearing uniforms and having to literally march down the stairs and introduce themselves as basically Marines, you know, and now they're just these complete, they're wearing drapes and also (laughs) other clothes that are super cool and cute. I want to wear Mm -hmm. them, but like they're climbing trees, they're riding in canoes, they're going on horse-drawn carriage rides and singing songs in the mountains and playing guitar and going to the market and buying food. Like they are having the time of their lives. And I don't, I feel like this is just such a joyful scene for anyone to watch. I feel like you just kind of get transported and taken somewhere else. At least for me, I forget where I am. I forget that I'm 28 years old and life is hard and it sucks a lot of the time. It's just, it takes me to a place where I'm just like, yes, this is the life that I'm living right now. And I don't want this to end, <laughs> but yes, I, I totally resonate with your mom when it comes to this scene. And I'm sure lots of other people resonate with your mom as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like the older I get, the more I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny also, mentioning the how cute are just the... so beautiful. Having that like in the backdrop of mm-hmm. basically all of this, oh, so stunning, so stunning. 
So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of them wearing drapes, as a um, sometime seamstress, I was trying to clock, you know, I was looking at those drapes. I was like, how tall are those windows? Is it realistic that she could actually <laughs> get clothes for seven children out of those six curtains? But you know what? She's she's a thrifty sewer. I'm sure she could manage it. Well, I feel like she didn't just use the the green and yellow drapes. She also used, I feel like there were shears behind it or something. Because if you yeah, look at their outfits. Yeah, she also has some white, white bits in the, the clothes that yeah. she uses for other the undershirts and things like that. Yeah, I think she was pretty economical. I believe in Maria. I believe yeah, that she could, she could do, do it. it. Yeah. With Frau Schmidt's help, they can do anything. <laughs> That's also, I feel like this is also, by the way, um, a testament to how much I love this movie and how great it is, is I keep looking at those costumes and, I, and the, the clothes they're wearing and the hair, and I'm like, there's nothing 1930s about this at all. And I'm like, I don't care, though. It's so cute. And it definitely does evoke an era. Um, like, it, it evokes a sort of past time. It doesn't necessarily evoke specifically 1930s, but it evokes the Sound of Music version of the 1930s. And you know what? That's all that you can ask for. Yeah. I And just to kind of continue with what I was saying before about the balanced mm. shots, there's so many in this sequence of Maria with the kids. Um, just kind of adding to that just whole idea of, you know, the way that Maria lives and the way she's bringing music into life. It's it's the balanced shots have moved from just Maria to now Maria and the children. And then soon it's going to be Maria and the captain and Maria and the captain and the children. I just, I love how that slowly just transfers from one person to another as the characters evolve and grow. I just, ah, I love that. I think it's yeah. super cool. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to say that I, I don't know, I don't know how many of these exterior shots are real versus how many have like fake back backdrops or whatever. Frankly, I don't want to know because I want to believe that all of them are real. But for however many of them are real, I just want to say, like, kudos to the shooting crew for getting all of their film stuff up there. Because I'm telling you, dollies are heavy. Cameras are heavy. Like, lighting is heavy. All of these things. So kudos to the film crews for, I, I don't know if they were dropped off, dropped off by helicopters or I, how much was carried. I don't know. But it, it can be a rough time getting up there as a film crew. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was also I was very appreciative, too, of the um, again, with how much is shot on location with the sound mixing. It sounds really, really good. All of the, the voices are very clear, but it's not the sort of, you know, kind of tinny off obvious sort of studio recording that you sometimes get when there's, um, you know, having to dub over something that was shot on location. It sounds very smooth. Um, yeah. Sorry, there's something else I was going to say, and then I forgot what it was. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, so I guess moving forward then a little bit, I just made a note of, because now that we're seeing uh, the captain with Baroness Schrader for the first time, I just made a note of, like, there's nothing like the infatuation of a new love to completely change your personality. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's so he, funny because... Actually, sorry. Continue, continue what you're going to say, and then I'll say my. No, my I mean it was just a brief comment, but I was just going to say, you know, he goes from being this crotchety, grumpy, really strict guy to then being like, "Oh, let me hold your arm and crack jokes and lightly tap your nose because I think you're cute and sweet." It's just, I, I just think it's so funny. I mean, I feel like we've all been there, where even if it's like. I'm in a super crappy mood today and I hate everybody. But then all of a sudden this person shows up. It's like, oh, 
everything's fine because I just, you're great and whatever. But I just thought that it was so cool for us to see. I don't know. It's our first time seeing the captain in, in a different light, like really, really not as this strict guy. Cause before it was kind of just in the, in the subtext of the way he was acting, but this is no, he can be really sweet and really gentle and all of this. So you kind of see it here. And so when he starts to more explicitly fall in love with Maria, you know that he's going to treat her even better than he treated the Baroness. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was, was funny, but also relatable how he just made a complete 180 turn when he, when he's with, uh, when he's with the Baroness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get the sense with it, you know, he's that this is very much Georg in a Georg prior to losing his wife, but also Georg in kind of society mode. Um, you know, he's, he's so much looser. He's very, very charming. He's very witty. Like you can see why he's kind of, um, you know, valued in, in society and sought after why the Baroness would be interested in someone like him. But I think too, there is a, you know, there's a contrast between, you know, him at the beginning versus him with the Baroness. But then there's also a contrast between him with him with Maria in the sense that with the Baroness, you know, he is very charming. He is very kind of witty and flirty, but it's this very sort of detached and cynical kind of like city, you know, wit. He's like putting on a show. He's putting on a show as opposed to genuinely acting Mm -hmm. as if, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the Baroness and, and Max, in their sort of their whole attitude is very much we don't care about anything you know we don't care about politics we just care about kind of being charming and and you know witty and and flirting and making money good time yeah you know enjoying ourselves you know we're not really going to care about the the important things you know what important things and so when he's with her you see him kind of he's able to keep up with her you know he's able to kind of put on that facade but you also know that that's not who he truly is. You know, there are those little moments where he gets mad at Max. And he's like, no, actually, you shouldn't say those things. Politics do matter, you know. Um, you know, these these things that we're being asked to ask, ask to accept, they're not acceptable. Um, you know, he's it, it's not a good fit for him. You know, he is too serious a person in the end, and which you know, is the reason why he is ultimately the much better fit for Maria. I love how in the first half of this film, he, I just feel like he's, he's really just, I don't know. It's almost like he's a shell of a person. Like Mm -hmm. he, he's just, he's alive and he's just existing. But then you start to see glimpses of the real him until he fully embraces it at the end. Right. And I feel like for me, one of the first moments when I saw a glimpse of him really being himself was that moment when Max says, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. Just make sure it doesn't happen to you. And then his response is, Max, don't you ever say that again. And he says it in in a way that is so powerful and so convincing. Like he seems genuinely really upset that Max would say something like that. And I feel like that is a little crack in the facade that he's been trying to show or the reality of himself that he's been hiding from or trying to cover up. Um, And I think that that's a really, I don't know, just a really powerful moment when we see 
just a little glimpse of of who he is and that he actually does care and what he cares about you know Mm -hmm. he he is a very emotional person just like Marie is he does love his kids he does love his country he does care about his people and his fellow citizens but because he's just so closed off because you know he's heartbroken because of his wife's death you know he just he doesn't allow himself to fully embrace that um so yeah, I don't know, not to just repeat myself, but I think that it's really powerful when when we do see that come through because sometimes the emotion is just too strong that, I don't know, I almost wonder if he frightens himself that, whoa, you know, I thought that I, I thought that I dealt with that or that I shoved that away. I thought that, you know, where is that coming from type of thing. Um, but now I'm just speculating about a character that doesn't actually exist. But, you know, <laughs> what? as a writer, I like to think about the the actual motivations behind the characters and, and all of that. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I do. I do love that sequence for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I really get the sense that he has put all of these layers of, um, you know, imposed all of this discipline into his household as this way of self-protection, you know, putting this, these sort of barriers and layers between him and the children, because he just, he loves them so much and he can't bear the thought of losing them. And so he needs to control everything around him, um, you know, or else he's just going to go to pieces. And um, I, I, you know, when, (laughs) when he sees them all paddling up the river and Maria's like, oh, hey, Captain, And they all fall in (laughs) again with how good Christopher Plummer is. You just see this like smile on his face, like this really brief kind of, you know, you you can just tell he's trying not to smile. He's like, he looks so stern, but in this way that you can tell that he really wants to laugh. And so, of course, you know, they fall in the river and he gets all mad. But then the the moment, you know, they have their argument, um, which is a great argument. They're just so infuriated by each other. Can I just say real quick? Mm-hmm. The sexual tension oh, in that goodness. fight is like through the roof. <laughs> I, I was I was just thinking to myself, I just kept thinking, do y'all need a moment? Should I leave the room? I, mm, okay, the, yeah. this this is it's getting hot in here. <laughs> I mean, she's soaking wet, you know. She came before she could be soaking wet too. By the way, my very first um my very first note from when he first comes on screen was uh hot damn Christopher Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> so attractive in this movie. Anyway. Um, oh, but, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but so they have that fight. Um, you know, Maria is making excellent points. <laughs> she clearly sees exactly what is going on and is not afraid to stand up to him, and he's infuriated by it. But then I love they have when that- she goes... I love when she goes um, something of like, I know you don't want to hear me, but you've got to. Mm-hmm. And when she says that, his face is like... Yeah. She's like, Whoa, someone needs to I can't tell believe you, you just said that to yeah. me, but also like, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the, this was the scene where I was really thinking of like, wow, his performance is actually really, really good is when he then hears the music and he's just, you can see as he's standing in the doorway, seeing his children singing, you can just feel this, you know, oh my goodness, I'm experiencing all of these feelings that I did not think were possible for me anymore. I don't know what to do, how to deal with them, but I'm just going to finally lean into them. Um, and it's just this absolutely transformative moment for him. Um, and it's just, it's just so beautifully done. It's so beautifully acted. It's so beautifully staged. Um, 
can I just add how I love, I mean, this whole, this whole sequence of him being with the Baroness, her being with the kids, falling out of the boat, the two having this argument, him basically, you know, him melting. He's no longer, I'm trying to think of the, the, the comparison I'm thinking of, but I don't remember what it is, but he's basically just melting and becoming a human being again. And then he confronts her on the stairs. He's like, I want you to stay. I'm asking you to stay. And then she's like overjoyed runs this whole sequence. I just feel like it's so well-written and even just the thrown in aspect of when they're having their argument at the end of it. And he goes, Oh yes, you are captain. You know, it's like, <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also, it's reflective of how much respect he has for her in that moment of mm. you're not just this crazy lady who is falling out of canoes into the water. Yes, you are. And I love that about you and you're super silly, but also you are someone that deserves my attention. You deserve my respect because, you know, you're, you're calling me out on my bullshit and no one has dared to do that to me in forever. And you're making good points and you're forcing me to confront myself and, and this reality I've constructed for myself and how it's harmed my children. You know, it's not just an attack on him. It's an attack on how he has affected his kids and, I just think that this whole sequence just builds and builds and builds and then it deflates in the most beautiful way of him just melting and becoming this incredibly tender human being and them sort of seeing each other and admitting that they see each other for the first time, you know, and and it does it through song, like him singing in this incredibly gentle way. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like, you could do a whole just breakdown and essay or study on this, whatever, 10, 15, I don't know how long it is, but like this sequence, I feel like there's so much there in the writing Mm -hmm. of how the characters were one way. And then all of a sudden over the course of just a few minutes, they're totally in a new, a different place than they were before. And I believe every minute of it, it's not like, Oh wow. All of a sudden he's a softy. Like that's not believable. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, to go along with the how quality the writing is, you know, we've we've mentioned the Baroness, but I I really, really love the character of the Baroness in this movie. I think she's she's so well written and performed in this way where she's um, she's the antagonist for Maria, but she's not a villain. And you know, she's not an evil stepmother. She's not the the just the romantic obstacle. You know, she's so much more multifaceted than that. Where, um, you know, she is this sort of you know charming hostess who you know very um, studiedly does not have political convictions. But she, you you get the sense that she is very good in the sphere that she operates in. You know, she is. You know, she's being a sort of society hostess and being able to bring people together and make them feel welcome and, and, um, and, you know, have this sort of hospitality among adults like that, that is a talent and a skill. You know, she always looks fabulous. She always knows the right thing to say. Um, She always knows how to kind of ease a, a situation. Like those are all talents. They're not talents that necessarily translate to becoming a stepmother to, to seven children. Um, but, you know, she is talented in what she does. And I think when Georg tells her, like, I, 
you know, you are in some ways my savior. Like, I'm really grateful for your presence in my life. I think he's genuine. You know, I think that's, we're meant to read that as being a genuine thing. Like, I think, you know, she's not his forever relationship. She is basically his kind of rebound from the grief of losing his wife. She's the stepping stone on his way to, um, you know, the, the person he's going to actually marry. But I think she was a really important stepping stone for him. You know, I think she was kind of a first step in allowing him to open up to the wider world again and, and allow the possibility of opening up his heart to someone again. And then Maria is the person who then is able to kind of fully thaw him out and bring him back to his children. Like, I think he needed to kind of get away from his family a little bit and explore. And then Maria is the person who's able to finally kind of integrate him back into his children who are, you know, this, this larger part of himself. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I love what you said about about the Baroness in terms of she is the antagonist for Maria, but she's not a villain. And I totally agree with that. I even feel like the way that she, I guess, for lack of a better term, drives Maria away, even the mm. way that she does that is kind of she's telling her you're in love with him. She's not being yeah. like, oh, he he doesn't love you. And you, she's like, no. No, she, everything she says is a hundred percent correct. Like she's like, he's a little bit in love with you. You're definitely in love with him. You know, here's information that I've observed, do with it what you will. And like, obviously she has ulterior motives when she says that. um, But it's not like she's lying to Maria in any way. She knows that Maria is going to be upset and confused by it and want to leave. And that's what she does. (laughs) And um yeah, it's just for her, it's this way of like, well, there's this woman who's kind of complicating matters. And from my perspective, it doesn't, you know, she's getting in the way of what should be. She has her own life that, you know, she wants to go back and be a nun. So let me just clear this up, explain what's going on, and then see how that, you know, see where the chips, the chips may fall where they lie or whatever the phrase is. Um but- but even in the way, even in the way that the that the breakup happens between her and the captain, I feel like it's just this this wonderful back and forth mm-hmm. of both of them knowing that it's not going to work, but kind of wondering who's going to say it first type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of says it first, but then she kind of says it back, right? Yeah, she immediately is like, like, "Yep, yeah, you're right." Yeah, because he he's just says, you know, this isn't going to work, and then she says you know, I agree. I need someone who needs me or at least needs my money. You are too independent for me. And then she even says, I think that you, like, we both know that there's someone down there who's not going to be a nun, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just think, yeah, she steers him back to Maria, which kind of shocks him a little bit. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I just think that, I I don't know. I, I feel like she is genuinely a good person. She just, yeah, I, I think she handles it all really well, and she really tries to make it work for as long as she can. But then when she sees that the opportunity has passed by, she just says, okay, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm i not supposed to be here, and that's okay. I want him to be happy, and if she's going to be happy with him, then then you guys do what you're going to do. I'll go yeah. somewhere else, and, and we'll both be fine. I think she um, kind of has this her own kind of mini story in the middle of the story in the sense that you get the sense that, you know, the, the captain has been going off to Vienna and they've been seeing a lot of each other. They've had this whole sort of romance, not like a sweepy, you know, swooning type romance, but, you know, they've been seeing each other. They've been getting close. Um, 
And I think that the version of Georg that is prior to his marriage, prior to him having children, prior to his wife dying, would have worked really well with the Baroness. But there is this whole side of him that she has not seen up till now, which is his children. And so, you know, she has this relationship with this one aspect of this man, but now she needs to go and meet the rest of <laughs> the rest of him. And she doesn't fit that part, you know? And so it's that this journey of her coming to realize, um, you know, she wants to make it work with this man that she met, but the man that she met was not the full man. And she, comes to eventually realize this and accept it. Yeah. So I realized that in talking about the Baroness and this uh, breakup sequence, we've jumped over a whole, a whole portion. Such a good scene. (laughs) Which is, um, which is legitimately my favorite part of the movie, Um, which is the Von Trapp family. They throw a party at their house and it is just this, really wonderful party where they invite a bunch of people from the area, you know, people that are important and just friends and stuff like that. And um, I just want to say, first of all, I think that we can all agree, including the Baroness, Mm -hmm. that Maria's blue dress here is absolutely just, I love, I just, I, I love the, the airiness of it. Mm -hmm. I love the color of it. It almost makes her seem like an angel, um, I, I don't know. I just think that it's a really, I would yeah. love to talk to the wardrobe stylist about how they decided on that dress specifically for the flowy sleeves kind of look like wings. Yeah. Like how did they choose that? Not just for that sequence, but also for all of these important romantic moments between her and the captain. And I, again, like just to defend the fact that Tatum can be romantic. This sequence of the two of them dancing in the courtyard, I think is absolutely beautiful. And this is, and this whole scene going back to what I said before, sorry to be, you know, repeating the same thing over and over, but this whole sequence with the two of them dancing in the courtyard, like pretty much all of it is a balanced shot. Pretty much Mm. all of it is the two of them in the center of this just balanced courtyard with these trees on the side and these like um, these planters and it's just, it's actually, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I love the, the music that they chose, the choreography, the dance that they chose. I just feel like it's so, it, going along with her dress, it just looks like they're floating on air. You know, it looks like in La La Land when they're doing the dancing in the sky, except this is like on earth, you know? And I just, I don't know. I, I just think it's absolutely beautiful and just so sweet. And, uh, yeah, it, it captures my heart every time. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way it, you know, it, it pulls away and it has the full sort of full body shots of them doing the choreography and you can see these beautiful turns that they're doing, but then it moves, it cuts into the, their faces when they're looking at each other. And there's this sort of, you know, Maria has this look on her face, like she can't believe what's happening and she doesn't know how to process it. (laughs) And she's just kind of expectant and hesitant and um yeah she just like doesn't know what to do in the situation she's confused she's you know she's feeling these feelings and she doesn't know if it's right or not and then he's also just you know not sure what he's just looking at her with those eyes (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine christopher Palmer being that close to your face looking at you like that Oh my god! I I just 
I don't know. I feel like I would collapse. Can you I imagine just... Julie Andrews looking at you like that too? I mean, let's be balanced here. Like, what a what a couple. I mean, but if they're calling cut every five seconds, then you're like, you know, it's 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 never as romantic on set as it is. Don't tell me that, like, <laughs> Geneva. It's seriously like even the kiss scenes in movies they're all choreographed, guys. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not romantic on the set the way you think it is. Oh, we can. Um, uh, well, if you don't work on film sets, you can't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so another thing that I wanted to note here, which is, I guess, I guess another nostalgic connection is um, the the scene where all the kids are singing the so long farewell song at the end of it when everyone's like, goodbye, goodbye. Me and my dad, we always crack up at the part when the when the onlookers reply, goodbye. <laughs> all in perfect harmony (laughs) yeah it's like all these kids are singing this song before they go to bed goodbye then everyone else is like goodbye yeah they're like i guess we have to respond now (laughs) it's one of those moments where it's like only in a musical would that happen yeah um but yeah yeah i think uh another thing that i wanted to bring up is so this actually like legitimately breaks my heart so I feel like after Maria leaves and we see the captain interacting with the Baroness and just kind of shrugging everything off and being like, oh, Maria, oh, whatever. I feel like, which goes back to Christopher Plummer's performance, I feel like I can see and feel the heartbreak that he's going through. Just like the emotional turmoil and disappointment and confusion because he doesn't know why. I mean, I suppose she left a note, but it definitely like they all know that that's not the reason why yeah, she left. Yeah, yeah, right? like her note. And so I think it said that she missed the Abbey too much, which doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> yeah, and so. so you can just tell that he feels so tortured, and yet he's trying to just shrug it off and move on and act like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like it's hard when you are in a place and you're trying to put on a nice face, but on the inside, it's like. No, I feel terrible because, you know, the love of my life is gone and I don't know what to do now, you know, and uh, I just feel like I see that in in his face, in his body language, in everything uh, throughout that sequence. And it yeah. just it, it hurts my heart. Yeah, he's he's so stubbornly cheerful, <laughs> you know, he's like, this relationship is going to work. <laughs> you know, he's so oblivious. Like, I will propose to her. Yes. We will get married. <laughs> and everything married. will be fine. <laughs> he's like very intentionally oblivious to the fact that the kids do not like the Baroness and the Baroness does not like the kids. You know, he's just like, oh, yeah, she's going to be your mother. It's going to be fine. And also, uh, let me have some of that spiked pink lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> It's too pink. It's too pink. Um, it looked really delicious. I By the way, sorry. Draw... In the oh, go ahead. Just go ahead. in the party scene, there was actually one line um, that unrelated to their relationship that I stuck out to me is because um, uh, Georg has that uh, confrontation with Captain Zeller, um, the um, Nazi sympathizing Austrian who you know he's like the Anschluss is going to happen. You know it's going to happen sooner or later and. Um, the captain says something about, I forget the exact line. He says something about how, you know, oh yeah, you're like, you know, singing the praises of the Nazis or you're going to be the, um, something like that. And Captain Zeller's like, you flatter me. And Gary has this great line where he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So clumsy of me. I meant to accuse you, which is, yeah, it's just a great line. 
it's such a great line. I feel like I, I have to restrain myself with this podcast episode. I am intentionally not being political, but I feel like there are definitely, you know, moments that happen like that in real life where people are just like, really, I was actually trying to accuse, yeah, <laughs> trying to accuse yeah. you. So, well, and again, it's yeah. like, and it's the, the sort of this side of, of gay org that we, where he is this, you know, he's this society man, you know, he is, he's kind of witty and charming about it the way he says it, but he's also a man of strong values and political convictions. And he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to say what I think I'm going to do it in this kind of charming way, but I'm going to say what I think. Yeah. Um, so jumping back forward, jumping back forward, <laughs> moving forward <laughs> to the bit. future. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to comment, um, on how I think that the Reverend mother is like the best Reverend mother ever <laughs> because I don't know, like, I just feel like the fact that she is being completely honest with Maria and kind of just, I don't know, Mm -hmm. listening to Maria's boy problems, but taking, but like listening to them in such a respectful way of recognizing this is not a trivial thing. This is a big deal that Mm -hmm. someone, you know, this woman's love life is important to her and therefore it's important to me. And so I genuinely want to help her with what she's going through, even if that means that she has to leave this institution that, that you know, that I'm a part of, that she supposedly wants to be a part of. And I just love that the Reverend Mother is such a such a loving and wise guide to her in this moment when Maria is trying to run away from her problems, um, but she won't let her, you know? And I just, I think she's great. And I also wish that there was a Reverend in my life that could tell me what to do with my life. Um, so I don't have Same to make decisions, but... To you. Yeah, just sing me a version of Climb Every Mountain for literally anything in my life and then just give me answers, please. Yeah, absolutely. But, I love but the like, way all that... jokes aside, I, mm-hmm. I love I love that sequence and I just think it's really beautiful that kind of just relationship that the two of them have, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way that she speaks about the life in the convent, you know, the the calling to become a nun. You know, it's not it's something that's meant to be chosen for its own sake. It's not something that's meant to be chosen because it's the path of least resistance, because it's an escape, you know, because it's, um, and she doesn't treat it as this is holier than some other calling. You know, this would be better, you know, to, to go and, and be married to someone would be like giving up or would be a weakness or something like that. She's like, no, 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 there are many ways to love and, you know, giving yourself over to the convent and, you know, setting yourself aside for that, that life is one way to do it. But there are other ways and they're all equally as valid. So you just need to figure out what is the way that you've been called to love. And for Maria, it's to be, a, to be joined into this family, you know. It's, it's very yeah. beautiful. And I, I think I read, um, I believe that the actress who played the, the abbess... Um, I want to say Peggy Wood is her name. I don't don't quote me on that, but I believe she got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for this role, which very very well deserved. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Geneva, forgive me if I'm if I'm jumping too far ahead. So tell me if you want me to back up a little bit. But um, moving to the uh, love confession scene between our two. Yeah, protagonists. we're there. We're there. Don't worry. Um. <laughs> dun dun dun. <sighs> um. I 
gosh, how does one even talk about this? <sighs> um, I feel like, I feel like the writing in this scene is so good because the way that they even start this conversation of like, who are we to each other now? Mm-hmm. I love that it, I love that their love kind of starts with their love for the children and seeing how much the two of them care for the children. And it goes from there because you see, you see the, uh, the captain kind of like twiddling his thumbs and being a little nervous of like, Oh, d- did you only miss the children? He's so like, awkward and vulnerable. You know, and did, so did you, did you not, did you not miss me too? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, wait, yes what you know yeah. she's like wait did you really just ask me that like what's going yeah. on I just think that uh-huh. uh this scene is just it's so cute how they're like tiptoeing around each other but then mm-hmm. also like step by step getting closer and closer to like just declaring their like utmost love for each mm-hmm. other and it's just it's it's so romantic and I love it so much. It's so romantic. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have basically the exact same thing written down. Just the way they're they're trying to gauge each other's reactions as they're trying to yes. process their own feelings. Um they're so hesitant but also hopeful um and confused. But like scared. Yeah. <laughs> but also excited. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's adorable. And just the there way isn't that... There going to be a Baroness. What? I called off a... What? You did? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, as, as they move into the gazebo and the, the framing of it where they're both in silhouette as they're embracing against the, uh, the door of it. I want just... that as a movie poster yes. on my wall. It's so beautiful. <laughs> also, out balance shot. Balance mm-hmm. shot. I would like to throw that yep. out there. Yep. Yep. The one thing about this scene... Um, and oh, I, Geneva, be careful. Be careful. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, I, I seems like you don't <laughs> feel the same. Is the 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 dialogue in this scene is flawless? You know the way that they execute it. I don't like the song "Something Good." I don't know how oh, you feel. I agree. I don't. Okay. Like it either. I'm glad I'm not alone. And for me, I, as I was rewatching it, I realized. I mean, I don't like the song too much on its own just because I don't really like I mean I think the song's not super memorable but I don't like the framing of like I can only have love if I've done something good like I'm just not crazy about that sort of philosophical idea but in particular I think it rings a little bit false for their characters in that she's the one who starts singing it because I don't think Mm -hmm. that song accords with her kind of religious devotion because that song is not really in accordance with kind of um, like, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes, it would make a lot more sense to me if he was the one who starts singing it because he's the one where I can see, like, maybe he had a wilder past and feels like guilty about, um, you know, the way that he's been acting and feels like, you know, Maria is the source of redemption for him. But for her to sing it, I'm like, what have you done? <laughs> That's wrong. I mean, I don't know. We don't necessarily know about her past, though. Like she could, she could have had a difficult childhood and miserable youth, and that's what drove her to the Abbey. Like we don't, we don't necessarily know why she was up on the hill listening to the nuns. Maybe she was running away from home, and and that was her only source of hope. I don't know. I just, I guess, yes. The song is a little yeah. bit confusing to me as well. I also think that it's not memorable and kind of boring. I, I don't know. I almost wish that. 
I feel like in this movie, pretty much every single time there's a song, it I have this thought of, okay, this this adds to the story. This is really great. I feel like this scene, if it had just been them talking without mm-hmm. a song, it would have been way more impactful and romantic. I just feel like a song is not needed here. And I almost feel like the like the writer slash composer knew that it wasn't supposed to be here. It's almost kind of like in in Tick Tick Boom when when he's insisting we don't need a song here we don't need a song here and they're like you have to put a song here and so he does <laughs> granted come to your senses I think is a very good song but um in this movie I feel like it it's very much so rings as a a forced song that like was told to be put there as opposed to genuinely created by the songwriter um, I mean, yeah. that's total speculation. I don't actually know, but um, yeah, I think I, I just feel like this. I feel like this scene would have worked a lot more for me if it had just been. Honestly, I feel like there didn't even need to be a score in the background. Maybe just the two of them talking in silence, and I feel like that would have been. I don't know because I feel yeah. like for me, one of the reasons I love the romance in this movie is because it does feel really realistic and relatable. And I feel like the song here kind of takes it to a little bit of cheese land. Um, but I mean, that being said, I still love this scene, but I, right. I I feel like it would have been better had the song not been there. Yeah, I don't agree that there shouldn't be a song there. Um, I think a song does belong there just because, you know, classic musical sort of um, convention is that you have songs or are, are most frequently used in the moments of the greatest emotional intensity and the fact that this is the culmination of their relationship um, and that we need a chance to kind of explore where they are in this new state. I think a song is necessary. I just don't like this song. I wish they had made a better song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I can see what, I can see what you're saying as well. Like the, the conversation that leads up to it um, is just so perfect that like then to have a song that's just less than perfect. (laughs) deflating (laughs) i just i just feel like the the whole cute banter they have and their discussion of them saying like you know when i first started loving you was the first time you sat on that pine cone pine cone the first time you blew that silly whistle Mm -hmm. i just feel like that is i i want more of that like i want more of them just talking to each other Mm -hmm. as lovers now because i feel like in this movie i i feel like there's so much of them kind of being in this like we love each other but we don't love each other for so much of the movie that like this is the first time it's like oh wow they're actually you know talking openly and being I guess lovey-dovey with each other and we see it in this scene and then we don't really ever see it again so I mean like not explicitly like this right you know yeah yeah we do see which I want to talk about a little bit later is like we do see them functioning really well as a, a team, like oh, a partnership, which I is adorable. I 100% agree with that. But it's more so like, this is like, we're, we're dating, we're falling in love. This is the beginning stages and the exciting part of a relationship. And then when they come back from the honeymoon, it's like, oh, we're we're married now. And this mm-hmm. is like, we're we're partners, and which I think is great and mm-hmm. beautiful. And I love it. And I think they're such a great team. But I wish we could have had a little bit more of this like, let's just sit down and talk to each other yeah. like like weird people that are in love because we just finally <laughs> told each other that we love each other for the first time yes yep but yes anyway let's uh let's let's move on so Ooh. geneva i will because the next thing that um that i have written down is like 
after the singing competition. So if you have anything you want to talk about before the singing competition. Well, we got to talk about the wedding. Jump in. Is Oh, okay. Go ahead. I going to be perfectly honest. I I literally skipped the wedding every single time because really? it's so long. Yes, I skipped it again this time. That's, so I'll let you take over. <laughs> actually, we should talk about that because um, we did we skipped over it. But I always skip the puppet show. <laughs> I cannot. Oh, I love the puppet show. show. <laughs> what? I find the it's so freaking long. That's I, one of my favorite songs. I find the puppets to be so creepy. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're so cool. I can't even imagine how long it took them to film that. Yeah, but anyway, I love that with with the wedding um it's just <laughs> one of my memories of my mom's relationship to this movie is my mom is always like why aren't the nuns invited to the wedding <laughs> why are the nuns have to watch <laughs> behind like a closed gate and also the fact that they're like singing about the problem with maria while we were maria's getting married <laughs> it's just it's a funny reprise to put there <laughs> i love that it's like a full circle type of yeah, thing of, like no, she it's... used to be a child now she's a woman with responsibility and kids and all these things. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but um, anyway, but uh, what my mom always pointed out in which I think is such a really great, um, a great moment that signals the turn in the movie is, you know, they have this wedding. It's huge. It's full. It's like the royal wedding. I'm like, man, these must all be Georg's friends. Because, like, who who's coming? <laughs> Just showing up for Maria. Anyway. Um, but you have the bells tolling for the wedding. And then it transitioned into this one bell that's tolling as we look down on, into the, the courtyard with the Nazi symbols. It's the bell that's signaling the Anschluss. And it's just terrifying that the way that the joy turns into this kind of cold, terrifying bell. Um, it's just, it's so effective in showing kind of the passage of time and the way, you know, this joyful, beautiful, life-affirming event is then contrasted with what's going on in the political situation of the country, which we're then going to have to deal with for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very well done transition for sure. Um, do you have anything else that you want to talk about before the singing competition? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> well, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but, you know, I was very struck by the fact that when um, Herr Zeller is talking to Max, which um, Max, by the way, we haven't talked about him too much, but his sort of wishy-washy, you know, just stay out of the way, what's going to happen will happen, it's so well summed up in the way that Herr Zeller will hail him and he'll hail back and then kind of turn it into another gesture. It's like he can't make a decision one way or the other. Like he, you know, he'll do as much as is required of him to keep him out of trouble, even though he doesn't really want to. Um, you know, he's just such a weak character. I mean, he does, you know, he has, he does end up being helpful. He's not a bad man really, but he is a very weak man. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I, sorry, <laughs> like going off on three different tangents. I was just very struck by the way Herr Zeller is like, you know, he's all in favor of this this singing competition and um, that Max is putting on. And in particular, he says like, yes, we will have these like Austrian folk songs because we must show that nothing in Austria has changed. That nothing has changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, you know, for for the Nazis, this music is a tool. You know, it's this propaganda mechanism to show you know oh yeah the austrians love what has happened you know this is this thing that's 
has always, it's always meant to be, you know, to be, we're not doing something that's wrong or unnatural. Um, and the music is the, the way that we're going to demonstrate that. Um, I also just love the fact that the, the shot of Georg tearing up the Nazi flag on his house is like kind of a gif that you see going around every once in a while. It's just very applicable. <laughs> um, also, just with the second half, I was really struck by... Um, Wait, when you say second half, second half of just the movie overall? Yeah, sorry. Oh, so okay. we didn't talk about the fact that the intermission happens um, when Maria leaves, you know, after realizing that she's in love with Georg. And then she, when she comes back, that's that's in the, the second half. And I was just thinking, I feel like the, the first half of the movie is Maria's story. The second half, after she comes back, it really becomes Georg's story. Um, you know, he's the one who starts making the sort of emotional decisions that are kind of driving the, the dynamics of the plot. You know, he's the one who breaks up with the Baroness and proposes to Maria. And then at the end, you know, toward the end, it's his kind of, you know, the, the, all the risk is with him. You know, he's the one that the Nazis want to go and, and um, work for them. And he's the one who needs to escape, you know, obviously with his whole family, but, um, it is kind of very centered around his sort of taking a stand for his country. He, you know, he has that confrontation, which with Rolf, which we'll eventually talk about. But um, yeah, I feel like this, the, the second act of the movie is very much his story. And I was just also very struck by the fact that, you know, in this sort of beautiful musical structure, first half, second half, um, the second half, there are just so many fewer songs. And most of the songs are reprises of songs from earlier. Um, and I think that's just in keeping with the darker turn of the second half is that um, it is kind of taking the sort of, you know, these beautiful, joyful songs that are established in the first half and kind of repurposing them and then using them in these situations, which are now more dark, more difficult, you know, music is happening less, but it's really kind of aiding the characters in specific situations as they're navigating this very kind of real world threat. Yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting point. I never I never noticed that before, but I think I think you're right. Yeah, that's an interesting switch between um how it kind of becomes his story in the second half. Um yeah, and and the songs kind of become more of a more of a life support as mm -hmm. opposed to like the first half it's it's more so like these songs are giving us life and then in the second half it's like we need these songs in order to survive. Yeah. You know, these so songs like it's, they're bringing us together. And then in the second half, the songs are literally the thing that allows them to escape as a family. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of escaping, I did make a note that I think all of their escape hiking clothes are really, really, really cool. Yeah. Like, I, I, I want to wear all of it. Yes. <laughs> With the hats, with the ponchos, traveling with the clothes. suspenders, Our costumes, with the boots. Naturally. I want to do all of it. Yeah. I love, can I, by the way, the just the whole sequence of them trying to escape and having to push the car and the silence and the evil Nazi butler looking out the window and then them getting caught by the Nazis. And Georg is just so cool and calm under pressure, like really impressively so. And Maria. Ex-captain. Ex He's a yeah, Marine. absolutely. And then Maria just like steps right up and she's like, you know, you see there how well matched they are. Like she's just immediately jumps in to corroborate his, his invented story. And that sort of, 
glances that they're giving each other where they're kind of worried, but also reassuring each other. Um, yeah, you just see how well their partnership functions when they're under pressure. bring you to tears but now of course that I'm older every time I watch that scene I also get choked up like I can't even think about this without getting choked beautiful it's so beautifully performed and then Maria just jumping in and like seeing his sort of emotional distress and like helping him out. It's coming back to like just the beauty of their partnership and how Mm -hmm. well or just like how good they are for each other and also her emotional intelligence, right? Like she Mm -hmm. knows exactly what he needs in that moment. She knows exactly what to do. And then she invites the kids in and, and it's this really powerful moment where then, you know, the audience gets into it too. And then Mm -hmm. when they find out later that when Max very aggressively, but also (laughs) passive aggressively says, you know, we're not going to see them for a long time because of blah, 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 blah. You know, the audience is pissed. They're like, what do you mean that they're taking him against his will to join this army that we probably don't support either, but we're too scared to say, you know, it's just the Yeah, it's really, it it really is an emotional scene, especially I I understand it now that I'm older and it's very, very emotional for sure. Yeah, the audience joining in is so beautiful because it is this one sort of way for anyone in the audience who is in any way upset about what's happening. It's just this one little way for them to protest, basically. And and it's kind of like a stick it to the Nazis of you guys want to see that you want to send the message that Austria hasn't changed. This is our way of letting you know, like Mm -hmm. the true Austria has not changed. We are still here, you know, not just Mm -hmm. your version of Austria, but the actual, you know, real Austria is still here. Um, And I think it's, it's great. something you know good for you max (laughs) so i have a question i i just thought about this this time is the lady coming out and like repeatedly bowing and refusing (laughs) to leave the stage do you think that they asked her to do that to stall or do you think that she's actually just genuinely doing that i think she's genuinely (laughs) doing that the one thing i always wondered is did they actually win or maybe they were like third place and max bumped them up to winners to like give them more time I mean, I think that lady is just genuinely bowing. Yeah. (laughs) So Um, funny. The way she keeps bowing at Max and Max has to bow back. (laughs) I really like how in this in this last portion of the movie, it is it can be really heavy. Right. 
but there are mm-hmm. these moments that kind of alleviate the tension a bit. And mm-hmm. another one of those moments, which I wrote down here, is I absolutely love the scene when the Nazis show up at the Abbey and the one sister, like, <gasps> she just very slowly strolls to the gate and is taking her sweet I, I think that that is so funny mm-hmm. and but also it's not just it's not out of place of just like why are they yeah. putting humor in here all of a sudden it works it makes mm-hmm. sense that it would be there yeah the tone of this movie is very consistent and I mean that's one of the things that I think makes this such a you know it's such a universal movie and it's such a rewatchable movie is that you know it it's not afraid to go dark but there are these moments of kind of levity and you know it's bringing back all of these characters that we'd seen before and giving them their own little individual moment to to shine which is is really nice um the nuns sabotaging the cars is like it's so funny although at the same time you're like the nazis are gonna know who did this like they're mm. you know they're gonna get in trouble for that but it mm-hmm. also in the moment is just very you know, it's sweet because it's like they're doing, they're making the sacrifice for Maria. And then it's also just kind of funny, you know, because yeah. it's like, yeah, stick it to those Nazis. Um, and, and speaking of uh, intense moments, I feel like this movie is probably one of the earliest memories I have of experiencing suspense while watching a movie. The suspense oh, mm-hmm. of them hiding behind those gravestones and the Nazis walking gate by gate and trying to open each one of them and the flashlights hovering. I, I legitimately think that if this is not the first, it is one of the first times I ever watched a movie and had the experience of feeling suspense. Um, because even now I I know exactly what's going to happen, but it still feels very tense, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so perfectly paced, you know, it's, it feels long, but it doesn't drag. It's just, you know, you're with them in that moment, like not sure how long to remain in hiding. Also, the the confrontation then with Rolf, you know, Rolf hangs behind, you know, he he realizes that they're there. I think he hears Liesl um, take a breath when she sees him. And so he hides until they come out. Um, I, the The fact that you know, the captain has disliked Ralph the, Ralph the entire time, like has been like, you know, he doesn't want Liesl seeing him, which turns out he's right because he is a Nazi. <laughs> Ralph very much justifies his di- um, dislike. But then the fact that he sort of talks him down and tries to relate to him. And he's, he says that line, you'll never be one of them. And it's one of those lines, I mean, to go back earlier, you know, are you complimenting me or flattering me or accusing me like that is kind of a compliment in the sense of like you're not one of them you're not a Nazi but then he immediately like proves him wrong by like you know taking that as an insult and calling out to his lieutenant I don't know I just found that very interesting I'm like why why did he say that in that moment do you like do you think he actually believed that that Rolf is different because Rolf does not seem to be different I mean, in my opinion, I feel like he doesn't mean it as a compliment at all. I almost feel like he's Mm. daring him of like, show, like, you say you're a Nazi, you think you're a big tough guy, prove it. Oh, interesting. Because I feel like the way that Christopher Plummer delivers that line feels very, just like a dare. Like, I, I dare you to do this right now because I don't think you can. 
And because I think I think the rest of his speech is genuine and very sweet. You know, come away with us. You know, you don't have to do this. You're just a boy. It feels very real. But I feel like he gets kind of caught up by the end once he hands him the gun. And I think that he wants to have this upper hand on the Nazis just once. And he's kind of like, yeah, I'm right. You know, and mm-hmm. all of you guys are a bunch of chickens who are just putting on these suits to make you feel powerful but at the end of the day like you're really not and I'm gonna expose you and make you feel shitty and I feel like he just goes a little bit too far and he ends up you know shooting himself in the foot because of it not literally but um yeah that that's always been my reading of it I feel like he kind of loses his cool a little bit there but thankfully the nuns had their back by destroying their (laughs) but yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. But um, anyway, yeah, yeah and, so you know, obviously, it's they they do make it away. They the movie comes full circle because it starts with Maria in the hills, which are alive with music, and it ends with Maria in the hills, which are alive with music, with her newfound family. Yeah, yeah. So those those are kind of all of my thoughts on the movie. Uh, are you? Is it okay if we move forward to some? Uh, critical, like, critics' thoughts, Geneva? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So just to finish up here, guys, uh, this movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, of which it won five, including Best Picture and Best Director. There were no wins for Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer, but they did get nominated. Um, yeah. yeah. So Although I do have to say, um, quick recommendation, um, the YouTube channel Be Kind Rewind does videos on um, best actress winners of the past. And they did a video on this year um, contrasting Julie Andrews with the winner of that year, I believe, um, Julie Christie, um, who is kind of also a sort of British ingenue named Julie, but who had a very different vibe. And it's a it's a really fascinating video. I would recommend yeah. watching that if you're interested in that year. But insane, all the same, that Julie Andrews did not win. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, she's doing everything here. But anyway, so yeah, surprisingly, as Geneva kind of mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this movie in its time was received fairly well by critics, but it wasn't a resounding winner. Um, On Metacritic, it currently holds a 63, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it is 83% fresh. And I pulled two reviews, which I found to be very interesting, both of which are from 1965, and they're kind of two different perspectives. So this first one comes from James Powers of The Hollywood Reporter, and he says the 20th Fox release will be one of the movies all will be one of the movie's all-time hits, one of the all-time great pictures. It restores your faith in movies. If you sit quietly and let it take, it may also restore your faith in humanity. It does this with infectious wit, with consistent gaiety, with simple and realistic spirituality, with romance of heartbreak and heart mend. This is set against the most beautiful scenery you have seen in your life. The Sound of Music is quite a picture. So that obviously was a very positive review, um, but I found another one also from 1965, which is uncredited, so apparently we don't know who wrote it, but it's from the TV Guide magazine, and just a short sentence is, it's so perfectly contrived and mechanical and fresh as a daisy, it's infuriating. <laughs> I found that to be interesting. Um, yeah. Those two very different reads from the from the year that this movie premiered. Um but 
yeah, so if we move on to the legacy of this film, I think that I think that it's hard to deny that this movie has a pretty uh, longstanding and large uh, legacy because I don't think I've I've maybe met one or two people who have never seen this movie, but I think pretty much everyone has seen The Sound of Music. And if they haven't seen the movie, they've seen like the Broadway live show or they've seen it on the stage or, you know, there's just so many different versions of this. Um, or they've just heard the Christmas song, which it's not even a Christmas song, but whatever. Uh, it, it plays on TV every year around Christmas time, Thanksgiving. Um, I know here in Chicago, it's replayed. They do a sing-along version at the Music Box Theater every year on Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, I mean, the legacy of this film is is pretty undeniable. Um, and I think it is, for the most part, for the most part pretty universally loved today. Um, I know some people criticize it they say it's too long or they don't like the songs or whatever but um it 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 still it still has um a lot of impact on the culture today so um yeah I guess I'll just share kind of what what aspect of this movie did it for me um and just kind of cemented it in my mind and heart and made me want to talk about it today I mean I think for me it might not necessarily be one particular moment but I think that quite honestly, the romance of this movie is what does it for me. It is, it just feels so real and so realistic. And I love seeing these two characters grow together, but it's not just about their relationship. It's about their lives as individuals and how they slowly join those lives together. It's not these two people falling in love in a bubble and having a conflict between their, between themselves in a bubble and having a friend who's like advising them on relationship, like, no, it feels like a very real relationship. And I'm sure someone can make a point that it's not because certain things are over the top and they're singing songs and whatever. But I don't know. It, it just, it it's very real to me. And uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it makes me feel, it makes me feel soft hearted. And uh, it, it melts my cold heart. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it makes me want to fall in love. And I feel like, you know, it probably makes other people feel like they want to fall in love too. I just think it's a really well done romance because it also has, um, just so much, it also has a great story around it as well. So yeah, believe it or not, even though there's great songs and great acting and, and, you know, great themes here, the aspect of it that really does it for me is the romance. So call me a sap, but that's my honest answer. So um, what about you, Geneva? Is there anything in particular about this movie that uh, really does it for you? If not, that's okay. Yeah. But I'm assuming well, you to... have something. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to respond for a, a quick second to your your uh, the the critic quotes that you um, oh yeah brought up that was really fascinating. Um, I I do find it really interesting how you know musicals are such a you know as I mentioned huge fan of musicals, but musicals are a very um, divisive genre um you know there are just some people who really can't stand musicals like they just can't you know there's a sort of um sort of emotional quality and a a willingness to suspend disbelief that is just not possible for some people which is fine you know everyone is different but I find it so interesting that for for whatever reason my impression is that this seems to be one of the movies where you know, people will be like, I don't really like musicals, but I love Sound of Music, you know, Mm -hmm. just like there's a handful of them out there. And for whatever reason, this one is one of them. And um, 
you know, all represent the things that I love sound about of music, represent yes. musicals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like all the things that I love about musicals, everything that is everything that you just said about the sound of music, you know, that it is, um, you know, it could be accused. And I find it so interesting how, you know, subjective things can be and how critics, some critics at the time, and even some today were like, no, it's too cheesy. It's too sweet. It's too sentimental. But like, I don't find it to be that way at all. I find it to be, it's not sentimental, it's emotional. You know, it, it really makes you feel things and believe in things and, you know, hope for things and get excited about things or fear things like, which is what every good movie is supposed to do, you know? And for me, as someone who loves musicals and can acts, you know, use them to access these parts of myself, that's what a good musical does is it, it brings you along in this sweeping emotional journey. You know, it, it accesses these parts of you that you can't access otherwise. It brings you to heights that you can't be brought to otherwise. And I think, you know, that's what this movie just does so well and apparently can do, I think, for, for some people who otherwise can't really um, interact with musicals. So anyway, guys, that's not really just, it. Guys, just <laughs> yeah. wait. Just wait for the episode when Geneva chooses a musical that she, oh, I boy. mean, she, she's, she's going to take it home for us, guys. She's, she's going to go crazy. Yeah. Tune in for our five hours singing in the rain pod. <laughs> oh my, I haven't even thought about that, Geneva. That's going to be insane. <laughs> I, yeah, I, honestly, I like I'll just, I I'll just even... sit back and just let you talk for five hours and I'll just say, yes, I agree. Yeah, I can't even fathom doing a podcast on that movie just because, I mean, how do you talk about the the best movie that was ever made? But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to really kind of sum up with this movie, like exactly what it did it for me. I think part of it, you know, part of it is the romance, you know, I just, it's their chemistry is just, it's so undeniable. Part of it, you know, rewatching it, you know, I'd forgotten about how much humor there is. But I think a big part of it for me, and you know, and this ties into my history, family history with it, and my relationship with my mom is just the relationship it has with music and how, um, you know, music has always been such a big part of my life. And music is obviously central to this movie. Like it is a musical, but also music is so central to the characters within the movie. And it sort of parallels in, in certain ways, you know, aspects of my life growing up in a you know, with a musician for a mother who is very, you know, intent on having music be a big part of her children's lives. Um, and, you know, at certain points I would kick and <laughs> kick and scream against that, you know, as a child <laughs> who, um, you know, has a mind of her own. But like, you know, I, I really appreciate that in many ways. And it's just something that I've, you know, the more I grow out, grow and the more I mature, the more I can appreciate that aspect of you know, my relationship with my mom and that I can re- appreciate about this movie. So, yeah, I, I love the way, you know, the, the way it, it depicts, you know, music interacting in your life and, and brings music into the lives of everyone who w- watches and loves this movie. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing all of that. Um, so Geneva, if we are uh, ready to close the book on the Sound of Music chapter, are you? Uh, can you share with us what we're going to be the discussing? Page of sheet music on the Sound yeah. of Music. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, can you tell us what we're going to be talking about next week? Yeah, so next week we are going to be talking about Mildred Pierce from 1945. I should have this at my fingertips, and I don't, and I feel so. That's okay. I'm unprepared. This is Geneva's choice. Mildred Pierce. 
<laughs> what did you say? Oh, nothing. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Mildred Pierce from 1945, starring Joan Crawford. Yeah. So I chose Sound of Music for this week. Geneva has chosen Mildred Pierce for next week. So uh, stick around and we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.